Matthew chapter 28. I was texting with some pastor friends of mine this week, one in, uh, one in the Caribbean, actually, and one also in Dallas. And we were asking each other, what are you preaching this particular Easter Sunday? And one of them said that he's going to be preaching in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. The other said he's going to be preaching about Jonah and the sign of Jonah. And I said, well, I'm going to actually be preaching the whole Bible from beginning to end. And so you better get ready today. Now, you do have one uh, encouragement, though, as we get started today, that uh, we have a second and a third service. So I have to finish at some point, right? But where I want to actually show you the story of the resurrection in context of the whole of Scripture. The story of the resurrection. Why does Easter matter? And how does that fit into the overarching storyline of Scripture from beginning to end? But let's go ahead and read the story of Easter, the account of Easter from the book of Matthew before we dive in today, celebrating the resurrection of Christ in the context of the entire storyline of Scripture. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. He, the, uh, the guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. Verse 5. The angel told the women, Don't be afraid. Because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today from your word. Lord, as we celebrate the central truth and central reality of Christianity, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that the entire storyline, in fact, even our redemption, hangs on one central fact of history. That that grave is empty, that Christ is risen, He is risen indeed, He's coming again, and soon we'll see. And so, Lord, we thank You for the blessing that it is to gather this Easter, and Lord, we pray Your Spirit would speak to our hearts and our lives. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to ask you a question. Are you a forest thinker or are you a tree thinker? 
Some of you all, when you think you are much more big picture oriented, maybe something like this picture would show a picture of the forest and you see all of the big picture about the mountains in the background and the overarching landscape, not really seeing the individual aspects of the particular mountain range or particular trees, but you are more of a big picture oriented individual, especially when you view situations and when you plan out situations in your life. I am absolutely a big picture person and I need detail people around me to help me to understand oh yes you want to go this way but you might want to remember to do this and so some of you all on the other hand let's see a next picture are more detail people and you will see individual details that us big picture people might miss. I am a big picture thinker. Scott is more of a detailed thinker. I want to head this direction. I want to do these grand things. And he says, oh yes, but what are we doing this Sunday? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) And so we wouldn't get where we're headed unless we have the individual details. Now, how many of you are our big picture people out there? Raise your hand. How many of you all are? Our, okay, we have, yeah, we, yeah we're there. I'm, 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 I'm connected with you guys. And so how many of you all are more of the detail-oriented people? Yeah, okay, so we have a lot of detail-oriented. I kind of predicted that here in Richland, Washington with a lot of science background, a lot of that kind of thing. I think there's probably a lot of detail-oriented people here. What we're going to do today, rather than look at just the in, individual details of the resurrection story. I want to pull back to the 10,000 foot level and look at the storyline of Scripture, the overarching story of Scripture, the forest of Scripture about where is the resurrection, how is the resurrection set in the overall storyline of redemption? How is the resurrection related to the overarching story of the whole Bible and of salvation history? And I want to be upfront with my goals today. If you are a Christian, if you've already trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, my hope for you today is that you would rejoice in all that Jesus has done for you in this storyline from beginning to end of the book, that you would rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done to rescue you and redeem you from your sins. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whether you're in this room or in a ladder service or you're watching online today or maybe even weeks or years from now, my encouragement for you and my prayer for you is that you would see these things as true. And you would see that this is really overarching, the overarching story of your life as well. And you would trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you would become a Christian. That would be my hope and my encouragement for you. Now, how are we going to walk through the Bible from beginning to end? The way that I want to do it this morning is I want us to think about the resurrection in context. The way we're going to organize our time is around four gardens. You can look at the storyline, the overarching storyline of Scripture in terms of four gardens. And I want to bring you to the first garden. Garden number one. The Garden of Eden, where paradise was lost. The first garden of Scripture is the Garden of Eden, where paradise was lost. We find this garden in Genesis chapter 2. 
In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 1, we get the forest view of creation. We get the big picture view of what God did in the beginning when God spoke and worlds were formed. God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and light became, light was. God, through his powerful word, caused chaos to come into order as he ordered the stars, as he flung the stars out into space by the power of his word, as he created planets, as he created animals, as he created creatures, and as he created humanity. God in his power, through his word, brings the universe into existence. Then in Genesis chapter 2, we get not the big picture view of creation, but really we get another account of creation from a different perspective from the tree's view. We get a look at creation from the central or apex of creation, the one who is made in the image of God, humanity. How did God create Adam and Eve? And we are brought down to a particular place, a particular garden, a particular location bounded by four rivers where God would make man in his own image. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. In Genesis 2, 8 and 9, it says this, The Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what made this garden paradise? It was God's perfect world, God's absolutely perfect creation where everything was right and humanity existed in perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with creation, and perfect relationship with God. But we know that in your life right now, those, that really describes the imperfections of your world's. An imperfect relationship with yourself, an imperfect relationship with others, an imperfect relationship with creation, and certainly a broken relationship with God. So what went wrong with God's perfect world? What went wrong with creation? We know that what went wrong in Genesis 3, we are introduced to an insurrectionist. We are introduced to a traitor. We meet the main villain of the Bible, the main villain of Scripture, and we get the answer to the question of what went wrong in the world. In Genesis 3, we encounter a snake in the garden. This particular being is known by several different words or several different titles in Scripture. He is described as a snake. He's described as a, a serpent. He's described as an ancient dragon, as Leviathan, Satan, the devil, the evil one, came into the Garden of Eden and tempted Adam and Eve to question God and question His Word. If you want to know where sin always begins and where we get off track in our lives. It begins with this. It begins with questioning God and His Word and beginning to think that somehow I know better or somehow other people in my life who aren't followers of Christ somehow 
we know better than he does. And that's what we see in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says that the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? And that is how sin came into the world. Questioning God's goodness. Questioning God and his perfect word. And that's where sin comes into your life as well. That is where you begin to get off track. That is where the brokenness in our world begins is questioning God and is where the trap is set, the bait is placed. Adam and Eve took the bait and they sinned against God and the consequences were immediate and severe for both of them. Their eyes were open. They were exposed. They were fallen. They began hiding from each other. They began to build barriers, hiding themselves from each other. They begin to build barriers, hiding themselves from God. And that's exactly what's gone wrong with the world ever since that moment is we build barrier upon barrier upon barrier upon barrier, hiding ourselves from deep fellowship with each other in our own broken sinfulness and hiding ourselves, attempting to hiding, hide ourselves from the perfect God who loves us even though we have rebelled horrifically against him. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin caused humanity to go into hiding. Sin causes this death spiral to begin in our world, in our race. The curse of God to be placed on this planet in rebellion against Him. Sin and death had entered God's perfect world. Listen, you will never understand why the resurrection matters if you don't understand this aspect. The reason why we need a death and a resurrection of the perfect Christ is because we are all sinners fallen short of the glory of God, part of Adam's sinful race. Romans 5.12 says it like this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. We trace the origins of our broken world to that first garden, the Garden of Eden. All of the problems of the world trace their origins to that moment when paradise was lost. And this scene is full of despair, of hiding, of hiding from God, hiding from one another. But even in Genesis chapter 3, we see God seeking and God saving. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the very first chapters of the Bible, we are promised that there is a dragon slayer coming. And there is one who is going to come who will destroy the serpent, who will destroy the works of the devil, who will destroy the works of sin, and who will destroy the works of death. We long for it to come. They think it's Moses, but it's going to be a deliverer like Moses. They long for a judge, but we read in the Scripture in the book of Judges that all of these judges have glaring imperfections where they have to deal with their own sinfulness even as they seek to serve God as the leaders of their people. 
We know that we need a sacrifice, but we need a, not an imperfect sacrifice offered by imperfect priests, but we need a perfect once-for-all sacrifice offered by a perfect priest once-for-all. We not only long for a righteous judge and a righteous sacrifice and a righteous priest, but we long for righteous kings. And, and throughout the Old Testament, we have a parade of kings, even as you might have seen through the streets of Cairo just recently, if you were watching the news, it was this incredible thing where from one museum to the new museum, they had this parade of ancient rulers of Egypt, all in their sarcophagi, all in their coffins, all paraded from one, you need to watch the video if you haven't seen it, all paraded from one end of Cairo to the other with trumpets and fanfare. But the critical thing that I saw when I was watching that particular thing happen on television was all, every single one of those kings and queens of ancient Egypt, every one of them was dead. <laughs> They're all mummies. And there's no hope. And don't believe the insanity that some people are saying that the reason why the thing got stuck in the canal is because they moved the bodies of the mummies. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> don't believe it. But really, isn't that a picture of the Old Testament even in and of itself? King after king, queen after queen, Hope, maybe this is the one, died. Oh, hope, maybe this is the one, failed. Oh, maybe this is the one, nope, not that one. And we have a litany of kings. We long for a king, we long for a sacrifice, we long for a priest, and, and then we get the prophets, and yet even all of the prophets who are preaching God's word, all of them are imperfect beings, but causing us to long for the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And then the New Testament dawns at Christmas, and at Christmas time, God sends His Son in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, why does this matter? It matters because the first garden answers the central question, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world and wrong with your life is a broken relationship with God. It's sin. It's that we are all separated from God. And the only way to be reunited with God is if we have the perfect sacrifice, the perfect prophet, the perfect judge, the perfect priest, the perfect king, the perfect one who will pay the wages of sin, which is death. And that brings us to the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, where we meet the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. The second garden is the Garden of Gethsemane. Here we have the events beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane and extending all the way through the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus would fulfill all of the Old Testament in giving His life as a ransom for many. 
After the events of Christmas, we know that Jesus grew up fulfilling all righteousness as he lived an absolutely perfect life. If you read the law of God, you read in the Old Testament, you read exactly how Jesus would perfectly live his life, fulfilling every single one of those Old Testament pictures and Old Testament realities. Jesus grew up and he began to preach and began to speak in ways that when people heard Jesus speak, their souls were set on fire because they knew this one was teaching and preaching the very truth of God and not the invention of any human being. Jesus healed the sick. He forgave sin. He cleansed lepers. He cast out demons. He did miracles. He demonstrated that the devil has no claim on him. Whereas Satan could be the accuser of every single person who had ever lived before Jesus. I know who you are. I know what you've done. He could say to every single human being, including everybody in this room, I know who you are and I know what you've done. But Jesus could say in John 14, 30, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. The Satan crusher, the demon crusher, the Leviathan slayer was coming and he was there and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. Not long after Jesus said this, he entered into that second garden, the garden of Gethsemane, where in Mark chapter 14 it says this. Then they came to the place called Gethsemane and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little further, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Your will be done. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we have the beginning of the events where the Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. Jesus in prayer was praying and intensely and sweating great drops of blood there in the garden anticipating yes the physical torture of crucifixion but even beyond that anticipating the very reality that he would bear the weight of the sin of the whole world and for the very first time in eternity he would feel the pain of rejection of his father even as he bore the wrath of God God against the sin of the whole world. Intense spiritual torture. Intense psychological suffering there as he began to bear the wrath of God. And he prays to his Father, if there is any other way, you can do all things. You can do anything. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Do you know what the silence of heaven says? There's no other way. The only way that the problem of the first garden could be solved is through the second garden of Gethsemane and the events after that. 
as Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world. I love what John Piper says about the Garden of Gethsemane and Good Friday. He says the following. He says, this is the center of the gospel. This is what the Garden of Gethsemane and Good Friday are all about, that God has done astonishing and costly things to draw us near. That is the good news of Jesus. Spurgeon once said in one of his sermons, he said, see yonder another king's garden, which the king waters with his bloody sweat, Gethsemane, whose bitter herbs are sweeter far to renewed souls than even Eden's luscious fruits. There the mischief of the serpent in the first garden was undone. There the curse was lifted from earth and born by the woman's promised seed. In that garden, Jesus obeyed in anguish the will of God. He was betrayed with a kiss, betrayed by the kiss of a friend. And he was arrested and he was led away where he was tried. Jesus was lashed. Jesus was accused. Jesus was whipped. The sinless one was found guilty by sinful man. He was condemned by the Gentile Romans to die on the cross even as his Jewish countrymen were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and they led him out to the place of the skull called Golgotha where Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross of wood paying for your sins and my sins. Jesus bearing the wrath of God for the sins of the world. Matthew 20 verse 28 says this, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Why does this matter? This matters because Jesus has come to solve the problem of the first garden. The central problem of all of our lives is these barriers that sin has created between us and each other, between us and God, between us and His world. Jesus came to bring new life to our dead souls and to break down these barriers separating us from God. And through His death on a cross... Jesus opens the way for us to reunite with God, to have a relationship with God through faith by trusting in Him. Garden 1, the Garden of Eden. Garden 2, the Garden of Gethsemane. But there is a third garden, the Garden Tomb, where death is defeated. Garden number three, the garden tomb where death has been defeated. Just a couple of weeks ago on March 10th, 2021 I read an article very interesting article it's in the magazine actually the website popular mechanics (laughs) and the title of the article caught my eye it says this a Dyson sphere could bring humans back from the dead researchers say (laughs) okay that'll catch a preacher's eye (laughs) what in the world are they talking about let me read just a little bit of the article He says, imagine this. In the far, far future, long after you've died, you'll eventually come back to life. And I'll say, oh yes, absolutely. (laughs) By faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, but that's not what the article's about. You'll eventually come back to life. So will everyone else who has ever had a hand in the history of human civilization. Mm. But in this scenario, returning from the dead is the relatively normal part. 
the journey home will be a lot weirder than the destination. Here's how it will go down. A megastructure called a Dyson Sphere will provide a superintelligent artificial agent, AI, with the enormous amounts of power that it needs to collect as much historical and personal data about you so that it can rebuild your exact digital copy. Well, that's what humanity thinks. <laughs> but you know what? My God didn't need a Dyson Sphere. <laughs> My God didn't need any of that. And he won't need it in the future. Because Jesus died on the cross on Friday night. And two days later, on Sunday morning, without a Dyson Sphere, only with his own resurrection power, with the resurrection power of God, Jesus, the one who had died, who was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, whose eyes were glazed over and caked with dried blood, whose heart had quit beating, in fact, was pierced through blood from innumerable lacerations was caking over his body. That, that on that Sunday morning, Jesus' dead heart started beating his eyes came open he sat up he folded the grave clothes and he got up and got out of that tomb Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and the greatest miracle of all time happened in that third garden. The greatest hope that we have in our lives is that the tomb is empty. Matthew 28, 5 through 7. Let me read it again. The angel told the women, do not be afraid because I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you, Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. Satan is defeated. Sin is paid for. Death is conquered. And that is the good news of Easter. The real reason Easter is so precious is that paradise and eternal life and a relationship with God restored relationships with each other all of it is possible restored relationship with creation is all possible because Jesus's payment has been accepted he is the perfect one who died on the cross for our sins and defeated death defeated the grave defeated all of those historical realities that said you can never win and you can never have a relationship with God and Jesus says think again because through faith in me you can have resurrection life restored to a relationship with God Romans 10 9 and 10 says it like this it says how we are part of this story if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved one believes from the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now, why does this matter? It matters because the grave won't get the last word. It matters because no death, no sin, no Romans, no person, no 
past, no present, no future, nothing at all can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus demonstrated by defeating death, by defeating the grave, by defeating sin, that there is nothing standing in your way if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It is already defeated. You can have a relationship with God. And so will you trust in Him? Will you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Will you receive the greatest gift that has ever been given? The conquering of all of the evil and everything that went wrong with the world in the first garden of history. But that's not the end of the story. The story could be this, that you... Trust in Jesus Christ. He forgives you of your sin. You live the rest of your life. They, you die and you go in the grave. They have your funeral. And while you had a really nice life and you had a relationship with God, and it was really nice, and maybe you had some really nice relationships with some good people, you died. And one day they might parade your bodies through the street of Cairo. Is that it? I hope not. Because if that's it, then... Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But that's not it. Because without a Dyson sphere and just by his own mighty power, one day God is going to resurrect everybody who trusts in him as Savior and Lord to experience forever eternal life with him in glory. And that brings us to the, third, the fourth garden of Scripture. The fourth garden in Scripture is the new creation garden where paradise is restored. Scripture ends with more of the story. It's not just believe in Jesus and you'll have a great life and then you get put in the ground. But the good news of Scripture is one day there will be a resurrection. All who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will be resurrected to everlasting life. And those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will be resurrected also but will be forever separated from God. But the good news of the gospel is shown to us in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And what is there? Something from the very first garden has come back. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer be... People will not need the light of lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever and ever. Don't miss out on this place. Heaven, let me correct your understanding of heaven if you have this view. Heaven is not a boring place where you sit on a cloud strumming a harp forever and ever and ever. That's the Tom and Jerry heaven. And it's not real. The real heaven just described is a city. 
It's life. It's a society. It's actually a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth that is all there for the exploring and for the governing by all who trust in Him as Savior and Lord. A real society, a real kingdom, a real universe of which you will be able to enjoy and be wowed at forever and ever and ever where there will be no more sin there'll be no more virus there'll be no more dying and in fact the best part i think because there is no sin you will not even have the desire to sin and so forever and ever and ever every desire that you ever have for eternity you can do because it will always be perfect everything that you want to do will be right forever and ever and ever. That is restoration in God's perfect creation, this perfect garden, this perfect place forever and ever. It all depends on one central reality. What have you done with Jesus Christ? This story of Scripture, this overarching storyline of Scripture in four gardens is really the story of your life. We are all sinners separated from God, and yet Jesus has done the very thing that we could not do in perfectly obeying everything that God has for us, perfectly obeying the will of God for us, and yet the one who perfectly obeyed the will of God died on the cross in our place. He went to the grave, and he conquered death by rising again from the grave, and he promises eternal life in his perfect creation, resurrection life, if you will but trust in Him as Savior and Lord. I want to encourage you today, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus rose again from the grave? And do you believe that He offers everlasting life, true life, perfect life, to all who have trusted and received him as Savior and Lord. That is the message of the gospel. That is the message of Scripture. And that is trusting in Jesus is what stands between you and eternal life, which stands between you and a relationship with God. So I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, trust in him. Acknowledge to God through prayer, believing in him, saying, I'm a sinner. And I've rebelled against you. I've gone my own way. I thought my way was better than your way. And I was wrong. And I made a wreck of my life. I made a wreck of my relationships. I made a wreck of, of this world. But I believe, Jesus, that you came to set all things right, to put back together the broken mirror of my life. And I trust that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for my sins, you rose again from the grave. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, help me to live for you. And if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, if you trust in Jesus Christ by faith, if you believe that this is the one true story that makes sense of all other stories, including your life, the Bible says that you will be saved that Jesus will come into your life, he'll forgive you of your sins, he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit, and he'll give you an eternity with him. I want to encourage you, if you have done that today, I want to talk to you right after this service. Either while we're singing, I'll be right here. You can come and talk to me then. Or after the service, you can come talk to me. You can come talk to Travis. You can talk, come talk to Scott or BJ. We'd love to connect with you and help you 
to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, or really anybody that you saw even leading us in worship today, you can come to any of us, and we would love to help you to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Or maybe you're watching online and you have trusted in Christ. I want you to go to our website or text that number that's on your screen and I want you to reach out to us and say, I've trusted in Jesus and I need help to follow him or what does this all mean? I know I need it, but how do I do this? And I want to encourage you to reach out to us and I'll call you this week and help you to walk with Christ. But let me encourage you. Whatever Jesus has spoken to you today, whether it be to rejoice in him, maybe to go tell somebody about him or maybe to trust in him, however Jesus has spoken to you today, you follow him you follow him. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's respond as we sing together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray that even as the Spirit has been in this place, and even as you've been speaking through your word, Lord, I pray that these words would ring clear in the hearts and minds of those who have not yet trusted in you as Savior and Lord. And Lord, I pray that today would be the day that someone who either before this service was not a Christian, but through the preaching of your word, through the faithfulness of your spirit to convict sin, to convict sinners, to convict hearts, to bring faith. Lord, I pray that they would trust in you as Savior and King. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done and for the good news of Easter, the resurrection power of our Christ. And Lord, I pray for those who are believers as well, that you would help us to rejoice in this reality, find our greatest joy in this storyline, in this story of Scripture, knowing that we get to take a part of bringing this good news to the world. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love in our lives. Lord, work during this time of response. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.